Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. And this is going to be our text for today. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had, hap- uh, had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They departed in a different direction because ultimately the ploy of Herod at this point was to use these wise men to find Jesus so that he could ultimately kill Jesus. The idea that Herod had in his head was that Jesus was this coming king, which he was, a king that was going to take the throne from him, which was actually not going to happen. Jesus was actually going to extend and expand and make his kingdom happen in a different way. The kingdom on heaven, as we would know in a prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the ploy, this is the thing. And so Herod sends these wise men to go find Jesus. And I think it's amazing what happens with these wise men upon seeing Jesus. There's a response, there's something that that comes out of them. The Bible tells us there's exceedingly great joy. They worshipped him and then they gave him gifts. So this morning as we continue on in our series, Christmas, I want to speak to you from the subject, Radical Generosity. Radical Generosity as we deal with the issue of generosity in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I ask you right now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would change us. God, that you would work in our life in such a way that we would know that you're here right now with us. God, I pray that we would experience your presence right now, and it's in your presence that we find freedom. And so, God, we love you. We worship you. I thank you for this beautiful church. I thank you for these amazing people, God, that make the church. Not the four walls, not the stuff and the things, but those of us who sit here now across all of our services this weekend, God. Speak to us now. Our hearts are open. Our ears are listening. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. You ever have a gift given to you that changed your life? I don't know if you have or not. It's a question that uh, I've been asking myself over the past couple couple weeks. And for most of us, I would say that, that jewelry, toys, um, stuff and things wouldn't be the gift that you would articulate in such a way that that changed my life. And I think for many of us, maybe in the, the, this idea that I'm presenting a gift that potentially changes your life, maybe many of us in here would say, I've never actually received a gift like that. Unless you really understand something about Jesus, and that is this, that he is the greatest gift that's ever been given. And so I've been thinking about that this week, leading up to this message, Radical Generosity, because there's something that happened with these wise men that I think has happened in my, in my life as, as well. To know a little bit about me and where my moment with Jesus came, it didn't come in a youth ministry, it didn't come even sitting in a service like this. I think the, the moment that I said I want my life to be about Jesus happened when I was around about 15, almost 16 years of age in Ireland. My my wife and my brother and uh, some of us uh, others that were in our life, we got to go on a missions trip as a part of a small youth ministry that we were a part of in, in, in Washington. 
on this mission trip, we got to see some amazing things. And if you've ever been to Ireland, it's an amazing country. It's a beautiful country. We happened to go there at the same time that the Orangemen marches were taking place. These marches birthed out of the contention that was taking place between Catholics and, and Protestants. And I'll never forget sleeping in a circus tent in the middle of the field. And north of us, you could see the glow of a city set ablaze by protests and, and fire because of the hate and the discord and the dissension that had taken place amongst these people groups. And I'll never forget being called to pray over the city, and, and it was just an amazing moment. I'll never forget being in this small little town at a church that was literally just across from Project's housing, standing and talking to a nine-year-old that at that time I know could beat me up. And I say that because it was probably the most profound moment that I've ever experienced in my life as I stared into the eyes of this nine-year-old who was carrying weapons and peddling drugs in order for him and his family to survive. This same town that we would be in to minister to these people would be ripped apart by a bomb that would be planted and go off just a few weeks later. Many would lose their lives. And it was in that moment that I had to step back and, and realize something. This, this wasn't Kansas anymore. This little kid from suburbia, from Maple Valley, Washington, was no longer experiencing the safety of his nice, quaint little neighborhood, but he was now in the world, the actual world that Jesus' passion and love was directed at. And it was in that moment that my heart was forever changed. It was in that moment that my eyes were open. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't continue to goof off as a 16-year-old and do stupid things and make bad decisions, but it was in that moment that I realized that my life was made for more. There was something bigger going on in the world. It was Jesus. And it's marked me and it's changed the way that I do life. And this is what happens with these wise men. I want you to see this because something truly amazing takes place when these wise men gaze upon Jesus. The Bible says that they have exceedingly great joy and they worshiped him and then upon that something flowed out of their, this moment, something flowed out of their reaction to Jesus and it was generosity. The Bible tells us that the minute they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, they were pretty pumped up about it and then they gave to him. They gave pretty big time. They gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, for many of us, that didn't even make sense, and, and you hope you don't get that for Christmas. Maybe the gold part. But frankincense and myrrh, I can definitely tell you, is not on your list of things. Many theologians and scholars would believe that these three gifts right here that were given to them were actually going to be the very thing that would keep Mary and Joseph and Jesus and his family funded because of the great extravagance that were involved in these gifts. This impoverished family, this young teenager, pregnant now giving birth to Jesus, their life was now taken care of because of the generosity that was given by these wise men. I, I find that profound. But where did it come from? That's the question. Why did these wise men who were sent by Herod to find a young child, why did these wise men all of a sudden do something that they'd never done before? Think about that. They were coming from Herod. They weren't even conditioned in this way. And all of a sudden, they started to worship him. Like that was their automatic response. They were, they, all of a sudden, they got excited. There was great joy. They worshiped him. And then they gave exceedingly and abundantly. Where, where did that come from? How does that happen? I want to leave you with this thought. I think it happens when we understand that we have and have experienced the greatest gift ever given to the world. 
Jesus. Why? Because generosity begets generosity. Generosity produces generosity. Have you ever had somebody be so generous to you that all of a sudden you now want to be generous? Like, has somebody ever given you something? You're like, man, I just want to, like, I want to, I want to do something. You ever been there before? Felt that way before? Thought that way before? Why? Because generosity is a force to be reckoned with. Generosity is something that literally can change the atmosphere of our lives. I'll never forget one weekend I was heading into, uh, heading into church, uh, heading into my office. Actually, it wasn't a weekend. It was a weekday. I was going to Starbucks. I was in Phoenix at the time. I was going to Starbucks, and I was running late. Come on, any other people running late sometimes? Yeah, a few, a few of you. I see you come in. Um, so. <laughs> so I was running late, and I hopped in the line at Starbucks, and I wish that I could say that I was on my best behavior as a person and as a leader and as a pastor, but this little guy was frustrated. And uh, the line wasn't moving, and, it, and I, had to, I was running late, and I needed to get to the office and everything like that, so I'm like, come on. And so you know how you inch forward on people's bumpers just because you think that's going to push them more? That was me. <laughs> Forgive me, Jesus. And so I'm in the car, and I'm getting a little bit flustered, and, and so finally this person that was in front of me who was taking forever, and I was like, are you ordering the whole menu? Like, what are we doing here? So he pulls forward, he gets up to his thing, and I finally get, and I make my order, and I'm trying to be calm and collected, and I'm driving, and so finally I get up to the window after this person finally left, pull out my wallet to give them money, and the teller says, your drink's been paid for. Yeah. And I was like, dang it. What a horrible person I am. And it changed the atmosphere of my vehicle in that moment. Why? Generosity did something. Someone's generosity. Now, I don't know if they thought, man, this guy's being a punk behind me, so I'm just going to punk it to him and pay for his stuff. I don't know where it came from, but the problem is this, is that when you experience generosity, you become generous. And here's the thing. When we experience the generosity of God, Pastor Kaiser was talking about just a few moments ago, for God so loved the world that he did what? When we experience the generosity, we ourselves should become generous. So here's the, here's the question, what is Generosity. Because I think for many of us, we, we misunderstand what generosity is. And that's what I want to do to clarify today. I want to clarify what generosity is. Because many of us have some, some hurts. We've got some hang-ups. We've got some bad ideas. We've got some teaching that doesn't accurately represent what generosity is in, the, in, in a holistic way in our lives. And so that's what I want to tackle today. That's what I want to look at. I've got four ideas about radical generosity and what it is in our lives. So I need your help this morning. Everybody can shout number one. Number one, the first thing about radical generosity is this, is radical generosity is seen in what we share. It is seen in what we share. This is an issue of unity. Unity and generosity are very closely connected. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is Paul writing, and he says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being by the, or of being of the same mind. Everybody shout, same mind. Amen. Having the same love. Everybody say, same love. Amen. Being in full accord. Everybody shout, full accord. Amen. And everybody shout, of one mind. one mind. What is Paul saying? 
He's saying that all these things, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, all come from being of the same mind, same love, full accord, and one mind. It's what we share. It's what we share. And then he says this in verse 3, he says, Then do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. I think that's a powerful statement right there. What's he saying? He's saying generosity. Our ability to humble ourselves, our ability to count others more significant than ourselves happens with what we share. This one mind mentality, this, this unity mentality when it comes to serving others and being humble. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty awesome church. Now remember, I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm talking about the people, the church Could you imagine what would happen in our generation? Could you imagine what would happen in our world if we were that? So what I'm going to attempt to do in in these next few minutes is I'm going to cut generosity into a four-part pie. This is is one-fourth of that pie. This is the first part in understanding what generosity is, is that radical generosity is seen in what we share. Paul says to share this mindset. When we share this mindset and then share it with others, each one of these realities that we just talked about. Encouragement in Christ. How many of you think that sounds pretty good? Comfort from love. Participation in the spirit. Affection and sympathy. All of those things flow from people who are set towards generosity. The very essence and truth of generosity is seen when one does nothing from selfish ambition. They lower themselves, they humble themselves in order to count one more significant than their self. But this idea for many of us is very foreign. Why? Because we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Right? We live in a world that says, I got to get mine. I got to do me. I got to make this happen for myself. But what would happen if we as Christ followers, as people of faith, decided one day, wait a second, I'm not going to do me, I'm going to represent him? That's a different mentality, isn't it? Doing me versus representing him. I'm going I'm to lower myself, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to count others more significant than, my, than myself so that I can be generous. And if we shared that together, as a community, that is actually how we change things. Have you ever noticed that in our world right now, everybody's shouting for change, but nobody is saying how to do it? I want change. We need to change. We need to change this. Have you ever met that person that's all about change, but never has a clue as to what to do? We need to change this. We need to change this. We need to change that. We need to change that. And it's like, but so how? My suggestion to us is what the Bible says is if we could humble ourselves, count the world around us more significant, what kind of change would that bring? That's not saying let yourself be a doormat. No, 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 no. But it is saying, I'm going to look for the interest, I'm going to look for the well-being of others. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 4 and 5, 4 to 5, and then verse 7. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Verse 7, skip down, it says, And then seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Think about that. When we as a community decide that we're going to live generously, when I'm going to set out to bring welfare and grace and love based upon the unity that we have here as a community into the city around me, when I seek its welfare, my welfare is found in its welfare. And for too long, the church has stood on the sidelines of the city yelling for change and picketing for change. Did you know a sign won't change anything, but service will change everything? It's not about what you're holding up, it's about what you're digging into. And so Paul's first admonishment of our life is that radical generosity is seen in what we share. Share this mind. Then watch what it says about Jesus. I love this. Because you may go, well, then, like, like, what about me? Who takes care of me? Who cares about me? Watch verse 6. It says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that's above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to God be the Father. I love that. Watch this. Jesus was exalted in his humility. Is it possible that we find the greatest life when we participate in the lowest life? Let that sink in. Because the world tells us that we experience the greatest life in the highest life. Grapple, get, go big, da-da-da, da-da-da. But is it possible that we experience the highest life by living the lowest life. There's this term prostate before the Lord. I want you to see what this looks like. It's lower than bowing. It's broken. Available. Completely available to God. So radical generosity is seen in what we share. Have this mind among you. Number two, every shot. Number two? Number two, don't get quiet on me this morning. The second one is this. Radical generosity is seen in what we sow. It's seen in what we sow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a yeah, yay, cheerful giver. <laughs> and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good Work. Paul uses a farming analogy to speak to the Corinthian church. Every farmer that would set out to reap a harvest did so by sowing, not sparingly, but rather as generous as possible. That's what a farmer did. He didn't hold back because he realized what he would sow would determine what he would experience later. What he would sow would determine his harvest later. And in that harvest, he would then have the ability to sow greater. So he didn't do it reluctantly. And it actually, Paul says, you should do this joyfully as well. 
to be generous with the sowing meant that he was setting himself up. The farmer was setting himself up once again to be generous in the future. And then Paul highlights for us that the decision comes from our heart. In other words, someone needs to hear this today. Generosity is a disposition of our heart that ultimately directs our hand. Here's the thing. This is the next chunk of the pie. Radical generosity is seen in what we share, this unity thing, but radical generosity is seen also in what we sow. And this is a giving issue. This speaks to the generosity of our hands. And so throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, we're giving indications of this. We talk, around it, uh, talk about it a lot around here. Pastor Kaiser was just talking about in tithes and in offerings. And for many of us, that trips us up. And so I wrote this down because I want us to hear something, and, and I want to read this verbatim uh, as to what I wrote down, and, and it's this. There seems to be this idea that the church and pastors are the propagators of this subject, and that's simply false. There's been, yes, there's been bad and unbiblical teaching on these matters, as well as abuse and mismanagement, and that's unfortunate. However, that does not make this topic any more or less unbiblical. The fact of the matter is that the issue of finance is a very important and focused topic in both the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. Furthermore, the issue of finance and generosity was a topic that Jesus focused on to great degrees, more so than the subject of hell itself. So my role around here as the lead pastor of this church is to create a well-rounded and biblically-centered message that gives the whole counsel of the Word of God, and that means no subject contained in Scripture is off-limits. And so generosity is seen in what we sow. Why? Because impact is connected to investment. Impact is connected to investment. And I'm just in the place right now where I want to encourage us. Man, this year, I, I was sitting last night, we are going over some, some stuff as we're looking forward to 2018, and, and i got to tell you all, we've got a massive vision, we've got massive things in front of us as a church. I cannot believe some of the stuff we're going to be rolling out as we get into our vision series in January and February. But this year alone, the well has been able to give away, just give it away, over $52,000 to missions and local outreach and church planting and all of those different things. That's amazing. Felt like the, the theme song for 2017 was give it away, give it away, give it away now. <laughs> it was awesome. Loved it. But how many of you know that I want to see greater impact? <laughs> how many of you know that God wants to see greater impact? And so it requires greater investment. It requires us to be a people that are generous, our generosity is seen in what we share, but it's also in what we sow what we sow. And when we look at finance, and we look at resource as seed, we're saying, look, I want to scatter as much seed as possible. I want to sow as much seed as possible so that I can see my investment become a harvest. What are we investing in? We're investing in people's lives. We're investing in people getting off of drugs and alcohol. 
We're investing in church planting all across the United States and the world. We're investing in, in the helps that we get to be a part of here in the valleys. We work with refugees and those leaving the FLDS faith. We are investing in homeless teens. We are investing in people who do not have the basic necessities of life. We are investing in building homes in Mexico. We are investing in being a church for the city whose doors are wide open to anybody and everybody. It's an investment. And so our generosity is seen in what we share, yes, but it's also seen in what we sow. We sow. And then it gets crazy. Paul then might be drinking at this next point. But then he, then he highlights the way that we're generous. And he said it should be done not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful. Think about that. Cheerful giver. Have you ever been to Disneyland before? And you walk in and you're all of a sudden cheerful? And then four minutes later, you're definitely not cheerful. <laughs> but you know that feeling of cheer that you get, like that, that, that happiness, that joy, that, that excitement? That's what Paul's saying. And for many of us, we struggle with this reality because we're not joyful. Like, I can't believe there's a bucket again. Push pay, why'd they, I hate push pay. I'm going to push pay off a cliff. <laughs> you can be generous and angry, but then it's not generosity. The aptitude of my generosity is seen in the attitude of my generosity. Think about that. The aptitude of my generosity is seen in the attitude. Yes, God really is saying, I want you to be excited about giving. Think about that. Why? Because generosity reveals the obligation of our hearts. Generosity shows the obligation of our hearts. Number three, every shot, number three? Number three. The third piece of pie of generosity is this. Radical generosity is seen in what we say. So it's seen in what we share. It's seen in what we sow. It's seen in what we say. If you need, if you need help, today's message is brought to you by the letter S. All right? <laughs> Radical generosity is seen in what we say. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul, once again, writing that our mouth is a big deal and that generosity is actually seen in what we say. People can experience the generosity of our hearts in and through the words that we say and the tone in which we say it. Paul, writing once again, uses this term building up. He enlists this idea of building or constructing a house or a building. The idea that one starts with a foundation and goes up from there. So here's the thing that we need to understand. Is it possible that we are helping build or destroy the lives of others around us? Let no corrupting talk come out of your house, but what you say, allow it to build others up. What would happen if we woke up tomorrow morning and said, today I'm going to build some stuff up? Think about that. I'm going to walk into my workplace 
And Joe over there, who I want to hit most of the time, I'm going to build him up. Huh. I'm going to walk into that mommy's playgroup. And Catherine, who always has an opinion, I'm going to build her up. <laughs> I'm going to walk into you fill I'm going to walk into my school I'm going to walk into my college I'm going to walk into my work I'm going to walk into my marriage and I'm going to build some things up I'm going to make some things go up not be taken down see generosity in and through what we say it looks like encouragement oh come on somebody who loves and needs a little encouragement now and then I know that I do I know that you do. We love encouragement, so generosity in and through what we say looks like encouragement. It looks like honor. Giving honor where honor is due. To the teens in the house, honor your mom and your dad. (laughs) Spoken like a true mom. (laughs) Honor. But then I think what we do is we think that when we became adults, honor could now go away. Honor. Oh, can I just say something this morning? I have the microphone, so I get to. <laughs> um, <laughs> if our church could be a place of honor, it would change how we do church. Young people, I won't say anybody under 35, honor in an upward direction to those who are older than you. And understand that there's amazing things in them that you can receive. Older generation, 35 and older. Uh Uh-huh, not a problem. (laughs) Someone's getting my preaching this morning. (laughs) If we could honor down and realize that the younger generation has so much to offer. Come on, somebody. I'm concerned that the church doesn't move into the future that God has for it if we keep on rejecting our younger generations. It's the bottom line. But listen, some of you older, wiser, more seasoned, whatever PC thing I can throw on that right now, we got to understand it's our role and responsibility. Did you know, technically speaking, like in a span of generations, I'm old. It's true. But I, I need to say this because we're, we're with our mouth, we're constantly discouraging younger and discouraging older, but at the end of the day, the most beauty that we can see in a church is when the older and the younger and all the different races and all the different creeds come together and make this thing that goes into the future. And it happens through honor. It happens through encouragement. Praise and worship is the generosity of our mouth. Gratefulness is the generosity of our mouth. Prayer and petition is generosity of our mouth. Because the reality is that there's an opposite to these, that we have a greater tendency towards discouragement, dishonor, criticism, and silence, ungratefulness, fear, and anxiety. And this is why Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the words of our mouth taste good to those around us. What would it look like to have our speech seasoned with salt, to make even the most difficult of conversations palatable and enjoyable? Oh, married couples, How many of you think that would change some stuff? 
not even married couples, couples, friends, people who converse back and forth. How many of you would realize that if our, our words would become seasoned with salt, it would change the way that we have conversations? What if in this world that we're in right now, our mouths were seasoned with salt? And the words that we say were palatable, enjoyable to the world around us. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I read this quote the other day by an unknown author. And it says this, words are seeds that do more than blow around. They land in our hearts and not the ground. Be careful what you plant and careful what you say. You might have to eat what you planted one day. That's when whoever that was dropped the mic. <laughs> generosity is seen in what we share. Generosity is seen in what we sow. Generosity is seen in what we say. And number four, have a shot number four? The last one is this. Radical generosity is seen in what we supply. It's seen in what we supply. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through Seven. Lots of scripture so that you see this is Bible, not just my opinion, okay? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and be on their means of their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's what I want you to hear, in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started this same thing, so he should compete or complete it among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I think this is such an important one for this Christmas season. I love that for the most part, Almost every single tag has been taken off of that tree out there, those trees out there. Why? Because it's a supply issue. See, that's not about sowing. It's about supplying. At a certain point, our lives have to be marked by these four graces of generosity. We've got to share in this as a church and be unified around this as a community. We've got to be the type of people that sow and, in, and invest. And, and we talk about how we do that every single week. We've got to be the type of people that give generously with our words as we honor and encourage and build up. But we have to be the type of people that at the end of the day, with no prejudice and no reserve, we simply say, I'm going to supply for those around me who do not have. I'm going to get good at figuring out where there's deficit, and I'm going to fill that deficit. I'm going to go into my city, and instead of saying they're going to use money for this, 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 and this, I'm going to freely give and supply. I'm going to bring sandwiches. I want to, I want to give gifts. It's about looking at our neighbor and saying, do they need help this season? But not just Christmas, any season. I'll tell you what, I think there's a cry in this generation to move church from words to action. Because remember, what is the whole point in all of this? What is the point in church? What's the point in gathering? Well, I hope the well can be a place where we understand we gather to take a breath in and then we exhale to go out into the world that we've been called to transform and change. 
Transformation in the world around us does not happen by what takes place in these four walls every Sunday. I know, maybe you've never heard a pastor say that, but it's true. But it's the start, because we get all riled up. We get excited in here, we get encouraged, we get pumped, and we go into the world that we've been called to serve. And I think for too long, the church has sat in the four walls every single day. We look for more moments to gather together than we do to disperse. People ask, well, how come we don't do so much during the week? Well, because the week's meant for disbursement. (laughs) The week is meant for every single one of us to see that our job is our pulpit. Come on, somebody. That our school is our pulpit. That That the places and the spaces that we find ourselves in, the coffee shops and the stores, it's our pulpit, it's our place to declare the goodness and the generosity of God. It's my place. My gym is my pulpit. got people that we pray for every single day, every single week that we're believing to see God grip their hearts. And It's my pulpit. So on that deadlift, Jesus loves you! (laughs) I want this message to be a call to us, a clarion call to live generous, be generous, grow in our generosity, be the type of people that are well-rounded in our generosity, not grabbing onto one thing or the other, but realizing that it's a full picture and to have the full meal deal. We got to share in some things, we got to sow in some things, we got to say some stuff, and we got to supply some stuff. To be a generous person that changes the world around us means that we are well-rounded in our generosity. So this Christmas season, while we can think about the stuff and the things and the everything that's going on, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. I'm ready to get out there and do some stuff. My kids were amped to, to fold up the, the gift wrap. That's what, what do you do? You wrap stuff. The presents that they got for the tags out there. Last night, they're doing their thing. They're so excited about it. Somebody this week texted me and they're like, hey, if you know of any families that just need a secret Santa this Christmas, let me know. We're going to supply everything. We're going to do it. That's awesome. It doesn't have to be the initiative of a program. It should be the initiative of our hearts. (laughs) I think so many of us are waiting for a program to start. When's pastor going to start a program to help people? You are the program. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You are the program. <laughs> Pastor doesn't need to do it. The church has been called to it. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Love people. Help people. Give to people. Be the church. And we'll see the world change. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. <laughs>